Well, let me be the first to say to you, happy Labor Day weekend. It's Labor Day weekend, that's why I'm preaching. Rocky and Sherry are on vacation, and I hope they're having a great time. You know, have you ever, by the way, I don't see many Gamecock shirts out here. Anyone got a Gamecock shirt on? Uh, no? Okay. Well, anyway, speaking of trivia, have any of y'all ever played this game here, Trivial Pursuit? Oh, look at that. We got some people who actually like this game. You know, the people who like this game, all the rest of us hate you. Because <laughs> there's a reason you like it. I mean, the truth is that uh, I can just see. Now, I'm not picking on that person who went, whoa. But in any case, I want to say those who really like it, they will answer the question like, you know, you get that Trivial Pursuit question. It's like, oh, my God, where did this come from? Like, who is known as the father of geometry? And you're thinking, there's no way they're going to get that one. And they go, <clears throat> obviously, Euclid. <laughs> and then they get the question to ask you, right? And they pick it up and they read it and they go, oh, this is so easy. And they ask it and you sit there like a jellyfish trying to figure out what the answer is. That's why we don't like that game. But... The fact is that 100 million have sold. It's made $2 billion in sales. So there's a lot of people who like it. I don't need Trivial Pursuit to follow trivia. I've got grandchildren. <laughs> Man, I will tell you what. I got one grandchild. His name is uh, Austin. I take him to school occasionally. And when I pick that boy, put him in the car, he asks questions. Till the moment we get to school. Does anyone have a grandkid or a kid like that? Oh, Lord, it is. And even the rest of the kids are getting frustrated. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll take them to school. Poppy, why can't I see the moon when it's daylight? I don't know. <laughs> Poppy, why does it warm outside? Is it the sun? Yes. How does it do it? It has fire. Why doesn't it burn us? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, literally, one time this boy asked me this question. Poppy, how many boxes would fit inside your house? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Then he asked, uh, Poppy, what would happen if a million boxes were inside your house? I said, that would mean Nani just made an Amazon order. <laughs> but you know, sometimes it's hard for us. A lot of people... You know, if they really were to get honest with their lives, they're, they're really following kind of a trivial pursuit, like that game says. And it's sometimes hard to distinguish what's really important and what's trivia. And there's a lot of ways to distinguish. I want to share two of them with you. One is, is it relevant, right? Like, for example, one of the questions in trivial pursuit is, and I'd be interested if anyone gets this, is what is the, uh, the name of Howdy Doody's twin brother? Does anyone know? Losers. <laughs> Obviously, it's double duty. <laughs> yeah, so you can see why that's such a fun game. But in any case, you know, how do you distinguish? Obviously, that's not relevant. Who cares? But we look at things and say, is it relevant? You know, is it, is it uh, important to me now? For example, I was, I was uh, in high school taking uh, physics, and I had to use a slide rule. Does anyone know what a slide rule is? Good, a few of you do. And I had, he wouldn't let us use a calculator. Calculators were kind of new then. He says, no, we're sticking to the slide rule. And so I used a slide rule. And how to use a slide rule became very relevant to me. And in fact, our school, in fact, our whole state had a slide rule competition. This they did. 
And I joined it because I knew about slide rule. And I got third place in district. Man, it is easy, easy to get y'all excited. My goodness. I didn't finish the story. There were three competing. But because I got third place, I got to go to regionals and where I got smoked. Now, the slide rule was very relevant to me at that point. But it wasn't relevant for a long time. It didn't have staying power. It wasn't relevant for forever. It was relevant for a short period of time. So really, right now, if I was bringing a slide rule, you know, figure out how to work it, it'd be trivial. It'd be trivial pursuit. But the other thing would be the source. Like, who is saying whatever piece of information? That would make it important, non-trivial, if this source was important. For example, you've all been in a classroom where the teacher has been like droning on and on about history and dates and blah, 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 and you're like you're falling into a coma, and then they say these magic words. And this next bit of information will be on the test. What happens then? Bing! It's like you just had two cups of coffee. Okay, you're taking notes on everything. Why? Because the authority, the source, said this is important. Well, we're coming to a time where Jesus Christ really begins to change, in a way, his ministry. He's been healing, doing miracles, revealing himself as the Messiah. And, uh, and he's, he takes his disciples, he takes them out of Galilee, actually, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And he begins to ask them questions. In fact, as we go through this passage, there are going to be four non-trivial questions that we all must answer. But Jesus at this point is taking them from the part, part where they see him as, as, a, uh, uh, as Messiah, as deliverer, as to something more than that. There becomes a change, and you'll see that as we go through the passage, because it's important. All this stuff that's happened that Jesus has done, now it's important that they begin to see the real purpose of his ministry, of his passion, and that it become their passion. And so, let's look, at, and I hope this doesn't, but I'm going to bring out these glasses. First of all, I'm 61. Second of all, I bought a new Bible because Rocky uses the New Living Translation, and it came in microscopic print. So, I literally can't read this unless I put on the glasses. So, it starts over here in Acts 16, 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that's an important question. I mean, the first things we ever hear about Jesus is usually from other people, right? And who people say that he is. And we get all kinds of answers, don't we, about who Jesus is? I mean, uh, we have people who are, you know, really disparaging in their comments, maybe liberal professors, who knows, secularists. They, you know, Jesus, they will just say, was a misguided man who died a frustrating death you know, and, and really was um, unimportant. Uh, others, though, I mean, even the Pharisees, you remember the Pharisees, they would say bad things about Jesus. That They said he was illegitimate. They said he was a rebel, false prophet. Even at one time, the Pharisees said about Jesus that he was uh, demon-possessed. So there's, a, there's bad stuff out there about Jesus, sure enough. But most of the time, at least in my experience, most of the time people say good things about Jesus. They'll say things like, oh, you know, he was a good man very moral, uh, he was a good teacher, uh, uh, he helped people, and things like that. They're accurate, yeah, but they're just not complete. 
And so Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they give, they give a pretty good list. I mean, it's like people might say today, good man, good teacher, uh, you know, founder of the Christian religion. They say all that, but they give a pretty good, I mean, put them in a pretty good group. They say, uh, they reply, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good group, isn't it? John the Baptist, greatest born of women. Jeremiah, Elijah. I mean, it's kind of think of it like this. If, if I was playing on the Northside softball team and uh, you know, after the game, some people got started talking, they didn't know me, and they say, man, who was that guy? And one of them says, you know, I'm over, I'm over here. And one of them says, I think it's Derek Jeter. <laughs> I'd be probably like, whoo, man, I'm pretty good, right? That's how I would feel. But when they present these responses, Jesus knows that he's so much more than that, that those are, are not even close to who he really is. So he gets away from that first question, just kind of getting the conversation going. And then he gets to the second question. He says, but who do you say that I am? I wonder if he pointed his finger, you know. Who do you say that I am? See, that's the key question, isn't it, really? Who is Je who do you say that Jesus is? That's the all-important question. In fact, it's so important that uh, Jesus uh, pursues us to have a relationship with us. He is working to, to, to capture you, to have you, so that you'll have a relationship with him. The problem is, is that we think that sometimes all our activities or whatever is going to make us all right with Jesus, but Jesus tells the story about those uh, people who are very religious, very did a bunch of good works, that type of thing. And then they get to heaven. They get to the judgment. And Jesus actually says to them this statement. He says, depart from me, for I never knew you. I'd say that's an important, important fact there. Wouldn't you say it's an important point? How important is it that we know who he is? Who do you say that, that Jesus is? Who do you say is? What would your life, well, let me ask you this, what would your life say that Jesus is? Is he an interest? Is he uh, a curiosity? Or is he something more than that? You know, the fact is Jesus is pursuing you personally. He loves you personally. He wants you to know him personally, do you? I mean, Jesus said in the book of Revelation, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and dine with him, know him, have a relationship with him, and he with me. I mean, do you see that? Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. He is pursuing you. He is calling your name. And he's saying, look, I'm knocking. Just open the door and we will have a relationship together. But understand this very clearly. Jesus will not kick the door down. How does that door open? You have to open it. Well, 
He asked that question, and I really wish I could be there. Oh, you know, because I have this imagination, you know, I just imagine disciples around there, and he says, who do you say that I am? And, and then I see Peter like, ooh, 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 let me, let me, I know, I know, just like my grandchildren, you know, I know the answer. And so Peter answers, and look at his response. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I mean, he nails it. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, that word Messiah uh, in the Hebrew, you translate it to the Greek, it's Christ. Uh, and so many of your Bibles, you'll read them, it'll say Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name, it is who he is, right? He's Messiah. That Greek word means the anointed one. He is the one that the Jews were looking for. They were looking for their Messiah to come in the Greek, Christ, to come. He was to be the one that would hold all three offices of the Old Testament, of prophet, priest, and king. And he was going to fulfill all of them. He was a priest. In Hebrews it says, after the order of Melchizedek, he was the one that interceded for us to God the Father. He was a prophet that preached forth the truth. And he told us what would be coming. And he was the king before Pilate. Pilate asked him that question, and he says, oh, yeah, I'm a king. My kingdom is not of this world. But let me tell you, his king dumb is coming and it will be of this world one day but jesus is a king the problem was they also saw him as a deliverer and they thought that the messiah was coming and would deliver them right but in their minds the messiah was going to deliver them from rome that was the enemy they knew that there was someone coming who would deliver them from their enemies and their greatest enemy that they could imagine was the enemy of Rome. And they thought this Messiah would come, he would be king, and he would deliver them. But if you go to the very first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, it tells us what enemy Jesus came to defeat. Do you remember that? When Jesus, before he was born, the angel appeared to Joseph. And the angel told Joseph, you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their... What was that? Sins. That was the enemy he came to conquer. That was the enemy he was going to defeat. And Peter recognized this. While he didn't know everything, he knew Jesus was the promised Messiah. But then he went one step even further. Then he said, also, you're the son of the living God. Now, that's huge. That's what, what he, when he said that he knew that Jesus was God, God of God, who was here, God in the flesh, that was here before them. You are the son of the living God. You are Yahweh. You are El Shaddai. You are Adonai. You are the great I am. You are the creator of the universe. You're the creator of this world. You formed me in the womb. You are God. Well, that's pretty huge. That's a that's a big step. When you come to that point, you are saying that not only is Jesus Messiah delivered, but he is actually God. In fact, in your Bibles, when that's translated, you'll see Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps. Jesus is Lord. And the fact is that Jesus is Lord. And one day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But he wants you to do that now. Every tongue will confess. I can promise you that. But he's asking you to choose him now, to choose him as Lord. In the Bible, Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, son of the living God, and believe 
that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Your salvation, your eternity depends on the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And so he asked them that, who is Jesus? And Peter absolutely nails it. And then uh, Jesus says to Peter, and I wish I could have seen this as well, he said, blessed, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. And Peter raises up and high fives everybody in there. And he says, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, you did not learn this from any human being. I, I just want you to know that, uh, seriously, I prayed for everyone here that would show up. I mean, I knew it was Labor Day weekend. I didn't know who would come. But before you got here, I prayed for you. And the reason is, is this very truth. Peter, he wasn't so brilliant that he got the answer. How did he know the answer? How did Peter know the answer? God revealed it to him. Did you catch that? God revealed to him the answer. And what I ask God to do, I mean, I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know if you know about Jesus, you know Jesus. I don't know if you're following trivial pursuits, you're following the only pursuit that matters, Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are. But my prayer was, God, reveal to each person where they are with you. Whether they simply know about you or they know you. Now, Jesus then begins to tell them how important this knowledge is. How important it is that you confess him as Lord, as the son of the living God. Because he says there's some things that are pretty cool about this, pretty important. And so he says that, now, I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. It's like a little stone. And upon this rock, this confession that I am the Christ, that I am the son of the living God, upon this rock, Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of the church, he says upon this rock this confession i will build my church and what happens is jesus christ reveals himself to us he knocks at the door jesus calling jesus here son of the living god here and you have a choice he reveals it to you who he is you have a choice to open the door or not open the door when you open the door when you allow him to come into your life you surrender your life to him he makes you a part of the church of which he is the foundation you become a living stone, as it were, a part of the church, and he's building his church. He's been doing this for 2,000 years. It's also called the Bride of Christ, and he's building his church, of which you're a part. Now, the cool thing about the church is this is a church that lives and breathes and walks in victory. You know, people talk about the church and how it's going down in America. Let me tell you this, and you can nail this down you can mark it down you can write it down the church of jesus christ in america is still well and good and powerful than the very gates of hell now they're talking about the visible church but i'm talking about the true church of jesus christ in fact jesus goes on to say this about the true church he says uh he says uh i will build my church and get this all the powers of hell will not conquer it did you catch that? <laughs> all. It didn't say some. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Well, what are the powers of hell? Well, one of the greatest powers of hell is sin. Sin wraps us up, gets us all bound up, messed up, 
destroyed lives. In fact, Henry David Thoreau said this. He said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation. They're following their trivial pursuits. Sin is just destroying their lives. But Jesus has defeated sin at the cross where he shed his blood. For there, sin was ever defeated. And now in Romans chapter 6, six I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, it says, sin shall not have dominion over you. It's defeated. One of the other great powers of hell is, is death. People are afraid of death. Death scares them. And death is one of the great forces, one of the great powers of hell. But you know what happened, right? They put Jesus in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead, defeating death, hell, and the grave. And that's why Paul could write, oh, grave, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It has been pulled out. It is no longer a power that can even compare to the power of the church. And that's what you're a part of when you know Jesus Christ. Jesus said these words, and it's to believers. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. You got that? Will live even if he dies. Death has been defeated. Well, after this, and of course this is great news, Jesus goes into kind of his, his strategy of how this is going to happen. So, and this is really the turning point because he's been, you know, showing who he was, revealing who he was, but now he begins to show how this is going to happen. In fact, how sin will be defeated. And the disciples are really getting really their first glimpse of this. And so Jesus is telling them in verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary. I underlined that in my Bible. It was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Could you imagine hearing that for the first time? I mean, this is the Jesus who uh, fed the 4,000, fed the 5,000, uh, let the blind see, the lame walk, all of that, and now he's saying that he is going to die. Peter couldn't believe that. He couldn't grasp that. This is Jesus who, when they were getting swallowed up by the storm in the boat, he said, peace, be still, and the waves laid down like lambs, and the wind stopped. This man, this son of the living God, is going to be killed? And Peter just couldn't grasp that. Now, it's hard to believe, but Peter pulls Jesus aside. Peter took him aside. Now, who did he take aside? Jesus. Who is Jesus? Son of the living God. Peter takes, let me just put that in there. Peter took the son of the living God and began to reprimand him. Saying, for saying such things, heaven forbid, Lord. He said, this will never happen to you. Oh, good gracious, Peter. I do feel sorry for him here. 
But what he's thinking is, how can suffering be a part of Jesus' life? He's good. Good people don't suffer. Good people don't die. And we know that is a lie from the pit of hell that smells of smoke. That is not true. If you're a follower of Christ, I can promise you this. You will suffer. But you have someone who's holding your hand, who walks through the valley of the shadow of death with you, and you do not need to fear. But Peter's like, oh, man, Jesus, you know what? I hate to say this, but you're sounding a little negative right now. <laughs> uh, you're discouraging the troops. Can we get a little bit more positive here? You know? And then Jesus' response to him is like, ouch. He says, uh, get away from me, Satan. I mean, that's worse than me calling you a loser, right? Get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God. Why would he say that? Well, one of the great uh, temptations that Jesus had in the wilderness, do you remember it? Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, you can have the, all these kingdoms. Just worship me. Without the cross, you don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You can have them all without the cross. But that wasn't God's will. Jesus knew the only way to save your soul was to go to the cross. So after that, Jesus said to us, oh, he said, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And see, that was the problem. Do you see that? Most of the time, people are living their lives, and it really is a trivial pursuit. They're seeing things from man's point of view, not from God. Everything that they look at is like a draw from the world. What does the world say is important? And then that's what's important. And so they're drawn by the world. They're drawn by the enticements, drawn by the things that they can get from the world that will only last a little short time. But in God's point of view, it was necessary for Christ to die so that our sins could be forgiven. Listen, Jesus it was difficult for Jesus. Jesus in the garden said, if it be possible, he's praying to Abba, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But Jesus went to the cross because he loved you and because he desired you to be with him forever. And he knew he had to defeat your greatest enemy, sin. So who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say he is? And the next question that Jesus asks is, who do you want to follow? See, after he says that, it says, he, it says in Matthew that he talked to his disciples. And in Mark and Luke, it says he also spoke to the crowd. That he called the crowd in. So he spoke to his disciples and he spoke to the crowd. And he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, I feel like I need to describe the word follow just a little bit. Sometimes we look at follow as if it's just, you know, checking in on Sunday. Uh, or uh, maybe just a, a morning quiet time. You know, y'all remember that. How many of y'all seen that movie, uh, Princess Bride? Y'all seen that movie? And y'all remember, what's that guy's name? Vivek, Vizek? It don't matter. Trivial pursuit. But in any case, the, uh, uh, they, they capture the princess. They're going away. They're in the ship. They look back, and there's a ship following. And the Spaniard guy says, 
there's a ship following us. He goes, how could we follow? He goes, they don't know we have the princess. That's inconceivable. So they start going, they keep going, and the ship is catching up with them. And the Spaniard says, I believe the ship is catching up with us. And he looks at him and says, that can't be. That's inconceivable. So they finally get to where they're going. You know, Andre the giant, he gets on the, uh, he pulls them up with this rope. He's got everybody, and he's going up the rope, right? And the guy who's following him is the dread pirate Roberts. And he, he gets onto the rope, and he's coming up too, and he's going faster. And they're going, and the Spaniard says to, to, says to Vivek or Visa or whatever it is, says, he's following us on the rope. That's inconceivable. So he cuts the rope. And they keep going. Spaniard looks down, and there's the dread pirate Robert scaling the cliff wall. He says, he's scaling the cliff wall, coming after us. And he says, that's inconceivable. At that point, the Spaniard looked at him and says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> I think it comes the same way with follow. We think of follow like we know you, we do on uh, Twitter, on Facebook. Click, follow. Okay, done. Follow is a 24-7 thing. Look what Jesus says about following. He says that if we're going to follow, he says, do you want to be my follower? Well, if you do, you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. Now, that, let me tell you, that does not mean that when you go out to eat and have a nice meal and the waitress comes and says, would you like dessert? You say, no, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm giving up my own way. That is not what it is. It is going from a self-centered life to a Christ-centered life. Let me explain. Most of us, many people, make their decisions based upon what they want, what self wants, what's good for me, what pleases me, what makes me happy. That's how they make their decisions, right? And if you want to be a follower of Christ, that changes. Self goes off the throne. Self gets out of the center of your universe. Christ goes there. And now you're asking different questions. What pleases Christ? What makes him happy? Right? And so the first thing that if you want to live or if you want to follow Christ, you're going to have to live a Christ-centered life. And then he says the next thing is you've got to take up your cross. In Luke, it says you've got to take up your cross daily. Now, when we think of cross... You know, we think of the, you know, like the cross on the wall, very clean uh, cross, or maybe the necklace, and there's nothing wrong with wearing a cross necklace. But that's not how the people then would have heard that. In fact, they would have been uh, offended. It certainly would have been repugnant to them because they'd all seen it. They'd all seen the cross. They'd all seen the crucifixion. The Romans loved to publicly display the crucifixions along the streets so that people would be afraid. They would fear them. So everybody, every Jew had seen the men and women that would be crucified on a cross. Every one of them have heard the wails and screams of pain and horror coming from those crosses. They would smell the smell of death. And when Jesus said cross, I promise you this, it was not attractive. But what was he saying? He was saying, look, self not only needs not be the center of your life, but self needs to die. 
Paul said this in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. My life is so dedicated to Christ that now I have died to self, but I live to him. In Romans 12, it says, look, present your body a living sacrifice. Do you want to be a follower of Christ? that you're going to have to move yourself off the throne and make sure that Christ is there 24 hours, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Die to your sinful desires. Die to your selfish desires. And live unto him. Romans 6, this says, Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death. We're actually buried with him into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're going to have to give up your own way. You're going to have to take up your cross. And finally, you're going to have to quit trying to hang on to your life. For many of us, our life is a trivial pursuit. We're trying to gain stuff, gather stuff. It all becomes, you know, what we want, what we need, and that is a trivial pursuit. And you will not find joy and peace there. Temporarily, yes, but not permanent. Not the joy and peace that Jesus Christ offers to those who live for him, who live exclusively for him, who have died to self. In fact, Jesus says that those who try to hold on their life, what will happen? They'll lose it. But those who give up their life for me, they will gain it. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. But you have to make this choice on who Jesus is and who you're going to follow. And then finally, what is the value of your soul? Jesus asked that next question. He says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of the Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. What would you give in exchange for yourself? I mean, think of this. If you had everything you wanted, I don't know, maybe you like a, a mansion on the beach. You had the mansion. Or maybe you're a farm person. You want a farm. Or you're, you're a penthouse person. You want to be, you know, Manhattan in the penthouse. But whatever it is, you got. And also you got all the money that you could possibly want. All your needs are completely met. And everybody likes you. Everyone thinks you're great. Everyone wants to be you, okay? Life is just good. And you're getting older in life, and Jesus appears to you and says, well, hey, look, you know, getting close to that time when you're going to have to die. And, and where do you want your soul to be? Do you want it to be in heaven with me forever, or do you want to lose it? What would you say? Well, you say oh, I, want to be, I want to be with you forever in heaven. That's where I want it to be. And if Jesus went a little bit further, he says, well, look, I want you to understand, if, if that's what you want, you have to give up all the money in the account. You have to give up the penthouse, the mansion. Every, you have to give it all up. Every drop of it, every bit of it, nothing left. Are you willing to do that? And what would you say? You bet. I've only got a little while to live, and all this stuff is temporary anyway. You can have it all. Just let my soul be in heaven. But the truth is, that's the question that comes before us, before us now, is what will you value? 
Will you value Christ or will you value your stuff? How important is your soul? What value would you put on your soul? Y'all heard about the guy who sold, uh, had his soul for sale on eBay? Have y'all heard about that dude? I, I think it got up to $10,000 where they made him remove it. <laughs> if you had to put a price tag on your soul, what would it be? What would you put on there? Well, really, we know that if you sell for a living, or if you even sell something, you know that you can only sell something for what another person is willing to spend. Is that right? Obviously. And so, what would you put on that price tag for your soul? What would someone be willing to spend? Well, the truth is, you could put on that price tag, on your soul, your individual personal soul, you could put on that price tag the blood of Christ. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, your soul. That's how much he valued you. When he went to the cross and he shed his blood, he was making a payment for the penalty of your sin so that you could be forgiven. So the questions he asks us now, if I were to take everything that we just talked about and kind of melted them down into a few questions, the first one would be, will you give me your soul? Will you give, or will you keep it for yourself? This isn't trivial pursuit. These are serious questions. Will you follow me? Or will you follow all the trivia, all the distractions, all the junk that is out there? Will you trust me? If you call him the Messiah, the son of the living God, that means you know he's in control. Will you trust him? And finally, do you know me? Do you really know him or do you just know about him? It is the most important question that you could ever possibly answer. Well, my prayer this, this morning was that if you didn't know him, that God would reveal that to you. And maybe for some of you here this morning, God has revealed that to you. Maybe this morning you're thinking, I don't know him. I do kind of hear that knock at the door. I do kind of hear him calling my voice. And I would like to know him, not just know about him. Well, if that's you this morning, then I want to pray with you. And, it's not, and I'm kind of concerned about it. I don't want to just pray a prayer like this is a magic prayer, magic words, and that gets you into heaven. What I want to do is to lead you in a prayer that you say from your heart to God because that's what matters. It is an individual decision on choosing Christ and making the decision to know him. I think for some of you, well, you've been kind of leading a life of, of trivial pursuit. In fact, if we were to look at your last week, your last month, most of it would be filled with trivia. <laughs> Just stuff. And you want to make a commitment this morning. You want to nail a, kind of drive a stake in the ground and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I am ready at this point to deny myself to take up your cross and follow me. Well, we have the invitation here in just a moment, though. That invitation's for you. If you want to drive a stake in the ground, surrender your life to Christ, or maybe this morning you want to know Christ. 
it's to you who want to know Christ this morning that I want to speak to specifically at this very moment. So if every head would bow, every eye would close, I want you to listen to me. This is the most important decision you could ever make. Maybe God has revealed to you that you don't know him. You know about him. You've heard what people had to say about him. Maybe you know a lot about him, but you don't have a relationship, and you know that, and God's revealed that to you. Well, this morning, I want to give you the opportunity in prayer to open the door. You ready to do that? Most important decision you can make. So if that's you, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner, and I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. I believe Jesus, he died on the cross for my sins so that I could have forgiveness. And I ask you to forgive me for every one of them. And I believe that they placed his lifeless body in the tomb, but three days later he rose again. And at this very moment, this morning, oh Jesus, I opened the door. I turn from my way of trying to make life work and I turn completely to you and I ask you to save my soul and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now look at me, if you prayed that